Thank you so very much, uh, Dana. Thank you for Miriam. Thank you so much for that, ladies. Um, that was a refreshment for my soul. Uh, Dana was one of Miriam and I's very first students when God called us over to Georgia in 1997, and we got to Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Um, Dana was there, and uh, one of our very first students, and just closing my eyes and listening to you and Miriam sing, it's like going, it's like going to Mexico and getting a bottled Coca-Cola. You may have that bottled Coca-Cola. It takes you back. It takes you back. I just was taken back, and Thank you so very much uh, for that. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. When you get to Romans chapter 6, you find that there is a switch in topics. Uh, Paul is going to switch topics. He's going to move from the topic of justification to the topic of sanctification. So he's been talking in general about salvation uh, and now that he's in this salvation section of this passage of scripture he's already dealt with justification and uh, he's going to pick up now with this issue of sanctification now sanctification occurs for the first time in chapter 6 and it is the term holiness you'll find it in verses number uh, 19 and again in verse number 22 the term holiness in these two passages of Scripture is where we get our English word, sanctification. Uh, it's a very important word uh, because it deals with uh, us becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. You see, justification is related to the guilt of sin. When we sin, we're guilty before God and we deserve punishment. However, by virtue of our union with the death of Jesus Christ... That is, when we prayed to receive Christ and we got saved, when we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, the Bible says at that very moment, God declares us righteous. Now, it doesn't mean that we become sinless. It means that when Jesus looks at us as born-again children of God, He sees the blood of His one and only Son, the spotless Lamb of God that has washed us clean of sin. Now, we still sin in this, on this earth. We still sin. But God, through the virtue of justification, declares you and I righteous by our faith in believing upon Jesus Christ. So, uh, that is, we have been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ by His declaration... And now we see, once justification has occurred in our life, God desires that we become like Jesus. We become holy. Now, what's fascinating about this concept is there are three tenses to holiness. There is the tense that when you got saved, you were saved. I mean, that's justification. God declared you righteous the day you got saved. March 22nd, 1988, I was 14 years old. I knew that I was a sinner. If I died in my sins, I would go to hell. I understood that. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to have a relationship with God. The best that I knew how, at 14 years of age, I confessed my sin to God, repented of my sin, trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. At that moment, the Holy Spirit came inside of me. I was sealed, and I was saved. All right? 
declared righteous by God. Then, that's not all. I started my spiritual journey as I read the Bible, was discipled by my Sunday school teachers. This is the second tense of sanctification. As I was saved, justified, sanctified, declared righteous, sealed by the Holy Spirit, now I am being saved as I'm walking with Jesus Christ, becoming more and more like Christ. Sin is invading my life, and thank God for 1 John 1, 9, that I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin, and cleanse me from all unrighteousness as I am being sanctified during this time that I'm living after I'm saved. Then one day, whether it come by the rapture of the church, or whether it come by death, I will be saved from the very presence of sin. Amen right there? We will not have to worry about sin any longer when we get to heaven. Sin is not in heaven. We only deal with that here on this planet, on this earth, on this cursed earth. So when you got saved, the day you got saved, you were saved, sealed, sanctified. You're in the process of growing in Jesus Christ, that sanctification and holiness, and one day you will ultimately be sanctified as you will not be in the presence of sin any longer. If you understand that, say amen right there. That's exactly what Paul is dealing with here in this topic. Now, both justification and sanctification are aspects of the same working of God. They cannot be separated. But watch this now. Please pay attention to me because Paul said, well, Paul separated these two. He separated them for teaching purposes only. He is trying to communicate to the church at Rome that when they got saved, they were justified by faith, by the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, as they confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. They got saved in believing of that. They got sanctified. They're walking with Jesus. But here's the problem. During their sanctification, during their walk of holiness, they became judgmental. And here's the issue with today. The issue today is we become judgmental and think that we're better than everybody else. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you, he's the only thing that's good about us. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate with these Roman believers. He's wanting them to clearly understand that just as they've been declared righteous, they are also made righteous through the process of holiness that takes place in those three tenses. All right, so I want you to notice how Paul's going to explain this in this chapter. He does it in chapter 6 and chapter 7. These two chapters are the chapters of sanctification. Let's look at chapter 6 together. The first thing I want you to see, number one, is I want you to see the affiliation of our sanctification. The affiliation of our sanctification. This is found in the first 10 verses of this text. Paul's point in this specific area of Scripture is that Jesus Christ paid sin's penalty once and for all. Once and for all. He did it. He paid the price, and he paid that price in our place. We should have been on that cross. But as a born-again child of God, you were on that cross. 
Jesus died in your place, but you were in him. As a matter of fact, when you look at these first ten verses, we see sin has no claim on us. We are freed from the power of sin. Notice how Paul uh, gives us these three truths. Truth number one is you're affiliated with Jesus Christ's death. Look at what the Bible says in verses one through four. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that, don't miss this, if you have your pens, I'd underline this, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. I want to submit to you today, in regards to this affiliation, especially concerning Jesus Christ's death, it's so vitally important to understand Paul is not talking about baptismal regeneration. Uh, he can't be talking about baptismal regeneration. So how could he not? He uses the term baptize in there. He's not referring to water baptism. He's referring to Jesus' death on Calvary's cross and how that like we are baptized by water in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection, that is simply a symbol of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. He's identifying us with the death of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6 and 7. The Bible goes on to say this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from Sin. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying as a born-again child of God, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If you are saved, if you've got Jesus Christ living in your heart, you have power over sin. Sin is not more powerful than Jesus Christ. This is a thing that Paul has picked up on and has carried to many churches. He's telling the church at Rome this, but he also said this to the church at Corinth. If you have your Bibles, flip over, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5, in verse number 14. Don't miss this. This will give you a blessing if you'll follow along with me. Notice what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse number 14. He says in the text, for the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died, Jesus, if one died for all, then we were all dead. Brothers and sisters, Paul is saying, when you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you were in Jesus when he died. He died in your place. Wait, watch this. He, he, only, he not only tells it to Rome, not only does he tell it to Corinth, but, but just turn a few pages over to Galatians. Find Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter 2, and look down at verse number 20. Notice the first words that Paul says, if you would, to the Galatian Christians. He says, I am crucified with Christ. He tells them very plainly that as a born-again child of God, he was crucified 
with Jesus Christ. He's going to go on through the book or on through the letter to Galatians to identify the Galatian believers as they too being crucified with Jesus Christ. Notice this. Turn a few pages over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. As you continue to move right in your Bible, you'll run into the Colossians. Paul, again, is writing to the church at Colossae in chapter number 3, in verse number 3. Notice what he says here. He tells the Colossian believers, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That is to say, you died when Jesus died. So when you come to know Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you are affiliated with his death. Watch this. He's not done yet. Not only have you been affiliated with his death, you also are affiliated with his resurrection. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 4. In the latter part of the verse, he goes on to say this. He says, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse number 5. For if we, for we have been planted together... In the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. We will be in the likeness of his resurrection. Just as Jesus Christ was buried, when he was buried in that borrowed tomb, so too you were there with Jesus Christ. You died just as Jesus died. You were buried just as Jesus was buried. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 8. He says this. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. The word dominion there means mastery. He's saying, in, in fact, in essence, in our affiliation with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as Jesus came up from the grave with life victorious, so too when we got saved, we not only died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and we now live with Christ. Man, that is some wonderful, wonderful truths, Paul. May God bless you for sharing them with us. But not only did he share them with us, not only did he share them with the church at Rome, he also shared it with the church at Ephesus. Turn over again, if you would. Find Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to notice verse number 5. Notice what the scripture says in verse 5 and 6. He goes on to say this. Even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, you're saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only did you die in Jesus Christ, but you also were raised in Jesus Christ. Paul says the same thing to Timothy. As Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, he again talks about how we identify with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then number three, let me give you this third affiliation because I've got to hurry. The third affiliation is the affiliation that we have with his life. Notice verse 4 again. The Bible says in the latter part, that even so that we should walk in newness of 
life. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you have a new life in Jesus. There is a new resident inside of you. <clears throat> that resident inside of you is the Holy Spirit of God. When Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, again, uh, in Galatians chapter number 2, in verse number 20, he said this, Not only am I crucified with Christ, he says, Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Gave himself. God gave himself for me through the Son of, of through His Son Jesus Christ. What does that mean, Paul? It means if you were the only person on this planet, Jesus would have died for you. He loves you that much. And he wants you to have new life. John picked up on this uh, as he listened to Jesus talk. If you have your Bibles, uh, find John chapter 10. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Jesus is speaking here. And as Jesus is speaking, uh, he's got something important to say to us in John chapter 10 in verse number 10. We all know this passage, a very familiar passage. John 10, 10 says this. The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said this, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, brothers and sisters, not only did Jesus Christ give us life, he gave us abundant life. And this abundant life that he has given us is an affiliation with our sanctification. As we were identified in his death, we were identified in his burial, and we are identified in his resurrection. And so through that identification, we surrender to an ordinance called baptism. And as we surrender to that ordinance of baptism, I'll stand in the water, or one of our pastors will stand in the water, and they'll say something like this, in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and for your public profession of your faith in him, it gives me great pleasure to baptize you, my brother or sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. There is nothing special about the water. What cleanses you is the blood of Jesus Christ. We are affiliated with his death, burial, and resurrection. This is the affiliations of our sanctification. Number two, let me show you a second thing. The second thing I want you to see is the attitude of our sanctification. The attitude of our sanctification. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says this. He says, likewise, or I got, he says, I got something else to add. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. What's he saying? He's saying this. As you travel in this sin-cursed world, this world is cursed. Jesus is the only one that lived a sinless life in a sin-cursed world. And as you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, when you trust Christ as your Savior and He gives you salvation through the blood of Jesus, 
You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are sanctified as you were saved, you are being saved, and you will ultimately be saved from the very presence of sin. He's saying, during this holiness process, you got to have the attitude of reckoning. Do you see what he says there in the text? Don't miss it. I'd underline it. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Now the word reckoning there is a Greek word and it means to count as true. To focus on the reality of the situation and to regard it as the actual state of affairs. It does not mean to assert what is in fact not true. To mentally conceive about the reality of this word is to think with determination that you have changed and because you have changed you have power over sin. Sin does not have power over you any, any longer brother and sister. If you sin as a Christian it is because you have yielded yourself to that sin. You, you have allowed yourself by the wrong attitude to listen to the wrong voice. Paul is telling us here in this past of Scripture, in relationship to the attitude of our sanctification, we ought to have a reckoning in our mind. And that reckoning is the fact that when Jesus died, we died. And because He died, sin no longer has rule over our life. A good illustration of this is found in Scripture in Luke chapter number 15. In Luke chapter 15, we find the story of the prodigal son. You remember that story? In the story of the prodigal son, you have the son coming to his father and saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. You give me my inheritance now. And the father gives the son the inheritance, and what does the son do? He goes out and he squanders it. He squanders that inheritance, he spends it all, and he has nothing left and finds himself, he finds himself in the muck and mire of a pig pen. And while he's face down in the slop, eating the slop of pigs, he comes to his senses and said, My father has servants who live better than I'm living right now. I am stuck in the mindset of the pig pen. I will go up and submit myself to my father. And as I submit myself to my father, I will ask him to hire me as one of his servants. So he starts his journey home. In Luke chapter 15, we find the story of this lost son. In verse number 21, the Bible tells us that when the father saw the son coming to him, the father ran to the son. And as he ran to the son, the son said unto the father, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and put shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. The word merry there means happy. Let's have a happy party. Why? Verse 24. For this my son was dead. He said, I thought my son was dead, gone forever. But he's alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. And they began to be merry. Now, 
I know you want to continue on in that story and talk about the eldest brother, but that's not what I want to talk about today. I want you to see the attitude of the father in relationship to the sanctification of his son. The father basically said, My son, you need to realize that you are dead to the kingdom of the pig pen. And you are now alive unto your new home with me, your father. You have died to that former lifestyle. And now you now live in my kingdom. Wake up and present your status as to who you are. Change your clothes and reign as my son. Brothers and sisters, the same is true for you and I. When we got saved, he pulled us out of the mire of sin, washed us in the blood of Jesus Christ, put us on righteous, rich robes, got us a new way of thinking, a new way of living. And Paul says, church, reckon your mind. Have the right attitude when it comes to who you are in Jesus Christ. Number three, man, he, just, he takes it a step further. He not only talks about the attitude of our sanctification, he then talks about the actions of our sanctification. Not only should we have the right attitude of reckoning, he says we also ought to have the right actions. Look at what the scripture says. Verse number 13, he goes on to say, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall have shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And then he asked the question, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid, may it never be so. So not only do we see the right attitude, but Paul now speaks of the right Actions. If you have your pens here, I would underline here this phrase. He says, neither yield your members, you see that there? Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. What is he talking about here? This is not a passive action. This, in fact, is a dynamic action. It's a Greek term that means do not go on presenting your bodies your members, your bodies, your hands, your feet, your, your, your feet, your, your mouth, your ears, your eyes. He's saying, stop, if you would, stop presenting these parts of your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness. Get your mind in the right place and get your actions in the right place. He says there in the text, he says, but present yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It reminds us of what Paul told the church at Philippi. Present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. This is your reasonable service. This is the act of worship that God receives, that you have been saved from sin at the very moment you receive Christ. And you are journeying together with Jesus Christ, growing in grace, growing in who you are. And you will not present your members, the members of your body, that is, your mind, your hands, your feet, your mouth. He's, you will not do this 
for evil, but you're going to do it for good. You, you see, what he's saying here is this. You don't do good works to get saved. You do good works because you were saved. Uh, why do we want to start churches? Why do we want to do that? Because we want there to be gospel-centered congregations all over our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, as we fulfill the great commission that God has given to us, we want to present ourselves, not as perfected Christians, but as living sacrifices with open hands saying, God, we're going to do everything that we know to do to love you, love others, and serve the world. The actions of sanctification. And then let me give you this last one. Here's the last one and the final one. Y'all have listened so good. Let me show you verse 14 before I hit this a lick. He says in verse number 14 again, he gives us this, this text. For sin shall not have dominion, you see that, dominion over you. I just want to make reference to this. The word dominion in verse number 14 in the text means mastery. To be a master. Sin does not have mastery over you. That is, sin is not over you, controlling you like a marionette, like a puppet on a string. That was who you wore before you got saved. Now that you're saved, now that you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus cut the strings to that servant you were to sin. And you were now sanctified by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, not in an area of perfection, but in an area of completion. He completed the work in you at Calvary, and you died with Him, you were buried with Him, and you were raised with Him, and you were becoming more and more like Him. And if you're not, if you're not, 1 John 1, 9 was written just for you. That you might realize who you are in Jesus Christ. Number four, here's the last one, verses 16 through 23. What is Paul going to do here? He's going to talk about the awareness of our sanctification. The awareness of our sanctification. So let's recap if we could. Number one, the first thing Paul said is he said, listen, there is this affiliation of our sanctification. We're affiliated with the death uh, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're affiliated with his death, his resurrection, and his life. Excuse me. We're affiliated with that. And then number two, he says, there's also this attitude of our sanctification. We've got to have the right attitude. That is, reckon we've got to have the right thinking. You don't need stinking thinking. You need right thinking. Number three, the third thing he says is the actions of our sanctification. He says, start thinking right. And start acting right. Stop yielding yourselves to, to evil. And start making the right choice that you have dominance over. And start making the right choices. And then number four, he says, then and finally, you need to have this awareness of your sanctification. The awareness of our sanctification. Look at what the Bible says uh, again here in verse number, beginning verse number 16. He says this, Know ye not... That whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Oh, wait a minute. Here Paul is talking about the two natures of man. 
He's simply saying that just because you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you were not perfected in that. You, 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 you have been forgiven of sin, and God has declared righteousness upon you, but there is going to be a war between right and wrong in your life. And so he says, in relationship to this, in relationship to the right and wrong that's taking place here in this text, he says you've got to understand who you submit yourself to is who you're going to obey. So if you submit yourself to the world, if you submit yourself as a Christian to the culture, let's say I'm a born-again child of God and I submit myself not to the Word of God, but I submit myself to the culture. Then I can very easily, by submitting myself to the culture, I can very easily fall in line and say, well, okay, I can reasonably say homosexuality is okay. I'm telling the truth. If I submit myself to the culture and not the Word of God, then I can easily go... Well, you know what? I, I don't want to offend anybody, so let's just agree that there are gazillion genders out there. I, I can see where that would happen. So how can a Christian say that? How can a Christian do that? Because they're submitting, they're submitting themselves to the culture. And what Paul is saying in this text, in verse, in verse number 16, he says, Look, engage your mind in this. He says, do you not know that whoever you yield yourselves to, that's who you're going to obey? So if you yield yourself to the culture that you're living in, you'll obey the culture. But if you submit yourself to Jesus Christ, then you will be and have the mind of Christ. And what does the mind of Christ say? The mind of Christ says that God will never lie. The mind of Christ says in First and Second Peter that there is a more sure word of prophecy in reference to this book. Therefore, if this is a more sure word of prophecy, and I've submitted myself to Jesus Christ, then I have to conclude in relationship to sin and the fallen nature of mankind, then man will naturally move towards the tendencies of sin and darkness and death. Paul dealt with this in Romans chapter 1. He's already dealt with it. They move into the arena of condemnation and to be condemned of God in separation of God and in following Jesus Christ to know the awareness of my sanctification. I must surrender myself daily to Jesus Christ. I'm here ready, sir, ready for your orders. What would you have me do? And according to the Word of God, he says... In relationship to this awareness of our sanctification, notice what he says in verses 17 and 18. He says, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. You were, there's a past tense verb there, you were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that from the doctrine which was delivered to you. What was the doctrine that was delivered to them? He just, he just spoke about it. It's the doctrine of the gospel in general. But it's the, it's the doctrine of justification specifically. That you have been justified by faith. Due to the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. That he has declared you righteous. This is the doctrine that he's talking about. Verse number 18. He says, being then 
made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. He simply says this, if you truly are a born-again child of God, you will not be able to play in the sandbox of the culture for a long time. You might get in there and dibble a little bit. You may build you a sandcastle, but all of a sudden that sand's going to irritate you. And you're going to want to get out and shake it out of your britches. Can I get an amen right there? Ain't nothing like getting sand in your britches. That's what it's like for a Christian living in the world. It's like, them getting, like they're getting sand in their britches. Why? Because that's not who you serve. You serve Jesus. And because you serve the Master Jesus... Jesus has control over you. So what's Jesus telling you? I'll tell you what Jesus is telling me. He's telling me that the culture is wrong in relationship to homosexuality. He's telling me that the culture is wrong in relationship to gender. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to, uh, to, 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 to thumb my nose up and be, and be on my high horse. I'm saying I'm trying to be sanctified and holy as he is holy. Look at what he says in verse number 19. He says, I'm speaking after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded, that is, presented your members, your bodies, as servants to uncleanliness, and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now, right now, present your bodies as servants to righteousness unto sanctification or holiness. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, church, it's not too late for you. If you find yourself walking after the way of the culture, if you find yourself submitting yourselves to the way of the culture and you're a born-again child of God, get out of the sandbox. Get out of the sandbox of sin. Get the sand out of your britches and start walking with Jesus Christ. He says, I'm doing everything that I can in verse 19 to speak to you in human terms. I'm trying to just get down on your level, Paul says, and I can't put it any plainer than this. And then look at what he says in verse number 20 and 21. He goes on to say this in verse 22. He says, for when we were, you see that past tense verb? When we were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Before you got saved, you play in that sandbox all you wanted. It never bothered you. You never felt convicted. Everything was okay. Verse 21, what fruit... Did you have then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? That's the real question. That's the real question. If you're a born-again child of God and can fall in line with the culture, are you ashamed of that? Are you ashamed? Is there guilt associated with that? Because I'm telling you, anything that's contrary to God brings shame. Anything that's contrary. If I live my life contrary to the holiness of God, as a born-again child of God, I'm just saying, it brings shame and conviction. And if I don't deal with that shame and conviction, I can callous my heart. 
And then Jesus says over in the book of 1 John, he talks about this is the reason why there's a sickness unto death. Because you've calloused your heart against God's word. And the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God is not giving, is not being, is not moving you in the direction of holiness because you have a calloused heart. Look at what he goes on to say there in verse number 21 in the latter part. He says, For the end of those things is death. Remember, he's speaking to the church here. He's not speaking uh, to lost people. He's talking to the congregation of the saved. Uh, Paul, Paul made mention of this to the church at Corinth. He says, in relationship to the Lord's Supper, he says, you've made a mockery of God and you've made this party atmosphere in a thing that God has designed for you to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of your calloused hearts, because you are taking advantage of the Lord's Supper the way that you're doing, some are going away hungry, some are going away starving, others are going away drunk, and this is the reason why you Christians are dying. And a lot of you are sick because of this. What must you do? You must get right with God. Verse 22, he says in relationship to the church, he says, But now, as a born-again child of God, you are being made free from sin. You see that? There it is. There in, the, in verse 22, here is the hinge on which the door of sanctification swings. You were saved the, the moment you received Christ as your, born, as your Savior, that day you were cleansed and washed by His blood. And now you are being saved as you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in relationship to holiness. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin. When will I be free from sin? When I'm in His presence. The Bible says, and because, excuse me, and you made free from sin and become servants of God. Ye have your fruit, oh, this is good, unto holiness, and the end is everlasting life. What, are the, what, what is the fruit that a Christian possesses? It's the fruit of holiness. It's the fruit of sanctification. It's the fruit of following after Jesus. Why? Because in verse 23, look at what he says. The wages of sin is death but the gift that God has given to us is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord Paul in transferring from justification to, to sanctification is sharing with the church just this simple thought you are no longer the person of this world. You are a saint. You have been saved. You have been sealed. You have been made secure. The end is eternal life. You have power over sin. Sin does not have power over you. The Bible says there's no temptation that's taken such that is common to man, but God is faithful. And he will make a way of escape for each of us. The question is just simply this. What is that way of escape? He tells us here, right here in the text. In the latter part of verse 23, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who is your Lord today? Let me put it this way. Who is your master? Paul is speaking in language that would be very common in that day in relationship to slavery. The United States of America has been stained with the awfulness of slavery. But in relationship to the context that Paul is speaking, he's just simply asking this question, who's your master? Who are you serving? Examine your life. Is your life producing holiness? Is there conviction of sin? Are you in process? Have you been saved? Are you being saved? Remember, you will ultimately be saved, whether by the rapture or by death. Are you becoming more like Jesus? That's the question Paul is asking. Could I... Could I ask you to do this for me? Would you examine yourself? Paul was very um, articulate in respect to asking those that he wrote to under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to examine themselves. He, He told the church at Corinth, examine yourself and see if you be in the faith. With the intentions of this, if you are not then who are you? If you are a Christian, that is, you're saved. You, you, Jesus is your Lord. You know that if you die today, you'd go to heaven. But there is sin in your life. There's sin in your life. In this process of being saved, that is holiness. In this process of your holiness and sanctification, sin is winning. You're yielding yourselves to the enemy. Dear friend, would you at this moment just pause and would you surrender to God as a Christian and say, I'm wrong. I have let sin rule over me and sin has no dominion over me. Sin has no mastery over me. If you're a born-again child of God, you cannot stay in the sandbox of sin you got to get out. Number two, if you don't, do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you say, well, I'm not, I'm not walking in holiness because I've never repented of my sin. I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. Then, dear friend, I encourage you to do what Paul is making his way to Romans chapter 10. He's wanting folks to see the fact that there is the sovereignty of God and there is the responsibility of man that he wants to declare you as being righteous. But in order to do so, you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says this, you will be saved. What does the word saved mean? It means to be sealed into eternal life. You will be sealed into eternal life with God. Being in right relationship with God. So how would I, how would I do that, Pastor? If I, if, I wanted, if I wanted that, what would I say? As a 14-year-old boy, I'll tell you what I said. But I want you to rest assured. It ain't the words of a 14-year-old that'll save you. 
It's faith. Paul has just spent from from Romans chapter 3, verse 21, all the way to chapter 5, verse 1. He's talked about this time and time and time and time and time again. You're saved by faith. So will you say this to God? Just say this to God right where you're at. Just say, dear God, by faith, I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now if that was your prayer, and you meant it with all your heart by faith, welcome to the family of God. I wrote a book many, many years ago now. It's hard to believe it's over eight years now I wrote this little book to help believers on their spiritual journey I'd love to give that to you if you prayed that prayer for the very first time or if you prayed it and you meant it today when we're done after this gospel invitation and we dismiss I'll be in this room you go out these doors I'll be in this room right here on the right I'll be getting me some water uh, maybe put a, a throat lozenge in my mouth But I won't be doing anything that will hinder you from coming in. I would love to see you. Pastor David will be in there too. Pastor Mark will be in there. We'll have folks in there. We would love to talk to you about that decision. If you're a born-again child of God and maybe sin has had mastery over you, I hope that this scripture has given you the victory today. And I hope that it has challenged you to walk in the newness of life that God has given you. For you have been affiliated with his crucifixion, with his resurrection, and with his life. Father, I pray that you would have your way in this invitation this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to preach. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for touching my voice. Thank you for giving me strength today. I pray that if someone here today has experienced the free pardon of sin, that they would not be ashamed of you, but they would share how good you have been to them. We love you and pray your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.